Hey guys, welcome to the latest episode of the 4040 Vision podcast, the ultimate sports history pod where hindsight is 4040. Before we get started, let's pay some bills and hear from our presenting sponsors. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the 4040 Vision Podcast, the ultimate sports history podcast brought to you by Sideline Sports Inc. I'm your host, Khaled Abdallah, with my fellow host, Osama Dahoud, and a special guest today, uh, Idris Argandawal, co-founder and chief marketing officer of Oakland Roots Sports Club, Oakland Soul Sports Club, and Project 510. You're a busy guy, man. How you doing? I'm doing well, man. Thank you for having me. Um, you know, busy, but never busy enough to have positive conversations with great people. So thank you for for giving me the platform. I'm excited to chop a little bit about what we're doing. And thank you for remembering the sports club part of the, the name. That's a lot right, of people, that's right. A lot of people <laughs> just just think we're a soccer team, but it's it's more than that. So I appreciate that. I remember I, I forgot exactly where, but I think it was a few years back. I, I read one of your interviews uh, and you made sure to specify that the SC is not soccer club. It's sports right. club because obviously uh, Oakland Roots and Oakland Soul, there's a lot more to it than just soccer. Um, so I, I wanted to talk to you, you know, obviously about your journey and, and you know, co-founding the club or the clubs, I should say, but also, you know, your journey growing up in the Bay, uh, yep. you know, playing soccer how that influenced you um, and, you know, how the Bay influenced you to, mm. to, to this day. Um, so you grew up in, in Oakland, correct? Actually all over the Bay area, man. I was, I was born in Oakland, um, raised, you know, in Alameda for a few years, spent some times time in, uh, in the central Valley um, and then made my way back to the East Bay, back to Oakland um, back to my origins, my roots. And, um, yeah, we've just been all over the place, man. I mean, a part of the, the refugee immigrant story is that mm-hmm. our families are just trying to figure it out. You know, it's For not, sure. we don't have the leverage of, um, generational wealth. We don't have the leverage of, uh, knowing that we can, uh, live in a home for, for, you know, the rest of our lives and then pass it on to our kids. And so, that basically made, you know, our families, um, you know, hop around the Bay Area until things could figure itself out. And, you know, I was very lucky to have just incredibly forward thinking parents that were creative and successful and built a life for themselves as Afghan refugees, you know, fleeing Afghanistan during the Soviet invasion. And um, yeah, man, just a privilege and, and an honor to be born in Oakland. And and to have that and to now be back, obviously, in the town and being here for several years now. And my wife works here and we're just like, okay. so we're the roots through. run deep. Roots run deep and we're <laughs> out here for sure. Oh, man. Yeah. And, and I, you know, so at recent night, we go back to college, we were, you know, buddies back uh, 
in an undergrad shit, 15 years ago. It's a long time ago. Um, and I know you, you, you didn't really have a, a traditional career path. I, I did some creeping on your LinkedIn, obviously. Um, I saw that you were a bio and an econ major uh, in undergrad. So how do you go from that to, you know, co-founding a, a soccer club and some of the other things that you've done uh, along the way? Yeah, great question. I mean, to peel it back, like I've always been somewhat entrepreneurial. Like I've always wanted to try new things and put ideas out there. And that's probably, it goes back to my parents giving me. The yeah, idea. I was going to say, did that come from your parents yeah. or was that something you fostered on your own? A hundred percent. I mean, I, I feel like people get it through their environment, but it's also largely in part by the, you know, ideas that our, our families and the closest people around us instill in us. And um, they, like I mentioned, were just very forward thinking, creative people that always gave my sister and I the ability to do what we wanted. Um, my sister played uh, professional soccer at the highest level in the Syria and the Bundesliga, um, was the captain of the Afghanistan national soccer team. And to have a Afghan young women play at the highest level, you know, that takes a bit of forward thinking when we, when we talk about our culture, you yeah, know, I've, I've definitely. for my father and my mother to be open and willing for my sister to do all the things that she wants to do. And similarly for me, it enabled me to experiment with a lot of different things, man. And I think we all result to becoming a doctor or becoming an engineer because it's the safest thing. It's all our families know. But then when I was able to open portals uh, to different worlds to my family and show them that, hey, look, you can throw a concert and have Lil B and, you know, Mr. Fab and all these cats come out to Davis and be able to, like, make money off of that and still do cool shit that's creative. All of a sudden, a new portal of possibility opens and they start to believe you and they trust you, you know, and um, I'm very, very grateful for that, man. I getting into davis obviously was by way of soccer you know i got recruited there okay. um, that was uh, my next question i know yep. you, you mentioned your sister so I'd, you know yeah. she played professionally and was was uh, on the afghan national team so so uh, the highest level you played was was at the college level at the collegiate level i did play semi-professional with the bay area ambassadors out in uh Raimondi park in west oakland for a couple of years and um that's where actually funny enough like i played with emra clementa who's now are you know one of our captains for the roots um and so like it's this crazy full circle moment um now that we're working together kind of in different domains but um you know in a similar fashion so yeah it's it's been a journey for me um when it comes to the game um i wish i could have become a pro it was my lifelong dream um i ended up being obviously in a in a different capacity within the same sport and it comes from my father bro like in mm -hmm. Afghanistan, he was a manager of a football club that was local, um, and it was called Stor, oh, wow. club, okay. club name. Yeah. And, you know, he he led and managed teams and, and brought a sense of, like, structure and um, this, like, club mentality to a small town that, you know, he, he grew up in. And he brought that over to America as well when he was, you know, coaching myself and other Afghans in the local community. And so I, I kind of picked up a lot of the nuances of management and leadership from him, um, really watched him and, and learned about how to lead people in a way that leads to fruitful results. And all of that with the experiences I gained, man, just kind of led to, to where we're at. And obviously hella layers going into yeah, how for we sure. got there, but 
Um, that's, you know, in a nutshell what it is. Yeah. I mean, we, we stand on the shoulders of, of giants, man, with our parents that, that came from overseas and, and took risks and, uh, you know, talking about wanting to be a doctor and engineer, I think they, they just want us to do the safe thing. Um, so it's nice to see that, that you took risks and that you got, you had your parents backing. Cause I know a lot of folks like us, Mm -hmm. first generation or second generation, even, uh, they're scared to take those risks because of course, you know, we, we don't know what our parents might, might think, um, so you talked about layers in, you know, developing a club and all that. Let's, let's start at like the first layer. When did you have the initial idea or the initial thought? When was it just a little thought in your brain and what yeah. was the inspiration behind it? Yeah, man. I mean, it, it, it kind of comes from a series of, of different ingredients that brought me to this point, you know, um, you know, being born in Oakland, there's this inherent like connection to the city, despite wherever you go. Right. Another example of this is like, you know, I, I, when you ask me what my ethnicity is, I say I'm Afghan. I don't say I'm American because yeah. that's mm-hmm. how, that's how it works. Right. And that's how it functions. It comes first in the hyphen too. Exactly. Right? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But, and the interesting thing here is, is that I've never actually been there. Right. But I have this idea of my connection to that place. And so despite moving around my whole life and, you know, having experiences elsewhere, you know, the the being born in Oakland element really always brought me back to I got to do something here, you know, um, and, you know, traveled around the world, uh, did a lot of different things. I interned for Diddy for a little bit. I interned for Sean John. For I saw that. That was pretty cool. <laughs> by way of my, my cousin who worked there at the time and gave me the platform. Um, and man, those experiences really opened my brain to like the the things that are possible in this life and specifically around um, the ability to market things to people and do it in a way that is meaningful. Um, I think a lot of people put things out into the world, but they don't think about the impact of those things, you know, whether it's words, products, services, et cetera, sports teams, they don't think about the impact that that specific thing has on the people that believe in it, that want it, that want to invest their money in it. And, you know, there is no greater responsibility and there is no greater culturally relevant thing than a sports identity period i mean if you think about like i know there's haters of sports out there but my question to them is like man like how the fuck do you guys even function without a sports (laughs) team like like every for better or worse man yeah man i mean think about the impact the warriors have had right like just on the identity of the bay area let's just put that into perspective right you have one of the biggest brands in global sports and one of the biggest athletes in sports, possibly the GOAT in Steph Curry, making a very large impact in a way that changes people's lives, allows for people to come together, allows for economic stimulus and small to medium-sized businesses. I mean, the impact is so vast and large, and yet we're still denying the impact of sports, specifically soccer, right? Which is the domain. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, man, like design, fashion, culture, art, Oakland, soccer, all of this kind of came to fruition when my prior startup was in was in downtown Oakland. It was important that we we had a presence here and that I was trying to bring business into a town that I really loved and enjoyed. 
didn't necessarily work. And I remember, you know, leaning off of that and thinking, you know, what's the next thing, right? And I'm playing in semi-professional um, teams here, you know, in the in the SF leagues with Oakland Leopards, and I'm playing at Raimondi, and I'm running into all these different cats that are in the soccer space. And lo and behold, you know, the idea was to do something in the East Bay area, specifically mm-hmm. Oakland, that brought awareness to this sport because we know whenever like Mexican teams come, you know, whether it's Chivas or, you know, Club America, like we sell out the Coliseum, 30, 40, 50,000 people. So I saw them uh, at Stanford, I think in 2009 and it was packed house. It was Club America versus Chelsea. It was probably, I don't know, 5% Chelsea fans. The rest was a sea of yellow. Exactly, man. I went and saw Real Madrid and Club America in um, in the ATT Park in San Francisco. Bro, like if it was just Real Madrid playing, I don't know, San Jose Earthquakes or Roots, it would be empty. But oh, yeah. it's, the, it's the Club America fans that really support and bolster it up. Which The Mexicans me, roll deep, man. I saw them recently uh, exactly. in Vegas, Club America versus Chelsea. It was like I was in Mexico. It was some real shit. Exactly, <laughs> man. And we have to recognize that one of the biggest populations here in Oakland is also the Mexican demographic. And this is their sport. You have to respect that and acknowledge that. And so for me, it was like, yo, there's no shortage of appetite here. This is a real thing. Oakland, California has the biggest Dia de los Muertos festival in Northern California, second biggest in California. And you, like, you're thinking there's 100,000 people that go to these events there's no soccer team for people to support. I mean, it just, it just made sense. And at the time as well, you guys, like the teams were leaving, right? Warriors were, were dipping, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the Raiders were already out. Like it, there was no more of an opportune time to get into a market space in a meaningful way. And by that, I mean, not in a traditional sporting way. I'm a 33 now. Um, 33 year old Afghan American. I don't look like Steve Ballmer or Mark Cuban, bro. Like <laughs> just a normal ass cat living in downtown yeah. Oakland with, you know, you know, trying to figure out my life. Right. And this is a different model. This is a European model. This is like how, you know, small clubs in Europe are founded by people just going to the pubs and like talking yeah. to each other. And thinking of things. And that's exactly how our concept came about is five or six of us co-founders all kind of had different assets and skill sets that we brought to the table. And, you know, we launched in 2019. In June, July, we hired our first employee. Uh, You know, we started to roll out uh, an amazing partnership with Oaklandish on the merchandise side. And it was important for me to do that because I recognize yeah, how did that come about? Because yeah. I know that's that's one of the the flagship mm-hmm. you know, brands and you know identities in Oakland. Um, I you know I didn't know about your partnership with them. I was in the store in downtown Oakland, yeah. I think in around 2019, and I saw the shirt, I saw the logo. Of course, I made sure to buy it. Um, yeah. And I just thought, you know, thank I, you. If you didn't that. know this was a soccer team, you'd be like, this is just a dope ass logo with a dope yeah. shirt. You know, so yeah. I'm gonna buy that, and I'm sure that's that goes in. That's part of your your, your marketing your vision. Yeah, absolutely. People, people ask that all the time, bro. And they're just like, was that purposeful? And I'm like, absolutely. I mean, you know, I don't wear any of the sports teams brands, like their merchandising outside of game day, because 99.9% of them are like mad corny. 
or they don't look good or they don't, you know? And so for me, I, I approach this as like, man, Oakland has such a strong brand and identity. Cats should be able to wear a Roots hoodie at Fashion Week in New York and not feel out of place. Dame Lillard should be able to wear a t-shirt during the playoffs and feel like it's normal. You know, Marshawn should be able to walk the hoodie during an interview and it's just normal. I mean, G Easy music videos, this thing's in there, right? Like we wanted to create something that people could adhere to because of the principles of Oakland, diversity, inclusion, arts, culture, humanities, the color, the, the chip on the shoulder, the blue collar, you know, like everything that makes our identity who we are. Um, went into the rollout of the identity, and it yeah, was and the way you you incorporated yeah. Oakland's logo as well with exactly. the trade. Just the storytelling yeah. and all that, and this is also like a, a, a R and D conversation about branding and identity. But you know that was like two and a half years of developing this crest that then we rolled out, got incredible reception of. You know, I sat down with Angela and Aaron from Oaklandish who are, you know amazing you know they they built this concept of oaklandish from nothing you know and they they helped us kind of cheat code our way through this because you know they had a database of thousands of people and we were able to get to thousands of people immediately mm -hmm. because of that partnership and i will say man i i attribute our success in in the early stages and i continue to um attribute it to them and their help throughout this process because they took a bet on us. Imagine me going into a meeting saying, trust me, this is going to be the biggest sports club <laughs> ever. And they're like, yeah, I'm, I'm spitting like, this is going to be the Barcelona of the United States, you know? And I mean, I truly believe this, but this is what they're riding on. And they believed in that and it worked, you know? And so one in every five people that I meet in the streets, man, they barely, they don't even know it's a soccer team, but the trick is, that when you educate them in that second or third touch point that this is a soccer team, all of a sudden you have a fan because they're already rocking it and they're already advertising it. And so it was amazing yeah. that first year rolling out, man. It was a, it was a blessing and to see people wearing all of it in the city and, and then having our first game ever. And the, the anniversary of that was actually yesterday. You guys are like perfect timing on the, the podcast. Oh, there you go. Um, and that was one of the most special days of my life, man. Um, you know, imagine being born in Oakland, turning 30 on the way to the game. You're listening to Childish Gambino, you know, rapping about turning 30 in Oakland. I mean, it was the most like incredible synergy moment in my life. And to be there and see six, 7,000 people show up, you know, have local artists and musicians performing soccer being played in the town meaningfully. I, I mean, that was everything to me. And we, I don't, I don't take it for granted. So since that moment, I'm like, we got to go hard every single day to make sure we live up to this, this name, you know, and we do it justice. So for sure. And then the, you know, you talked about like the, the brand identity and the logo. And I think uh, like, for example, as a Raiders fan, I know that there's, I've been around the world. I've been, I've seen the Raiders logo, the pirate, you know, in, in Egypt and in Barcelona in yeah. Uh, in Turkey, all these places where again people have no idea what it is, but they know it's cool. They like the logo, so they buy it. Um, and then after that, you know, comes the exploration. It's all right. What is this really? And then they dive in. And then you know, just off your aesthetic and your brand, you you can build you know a really strong bond with with that person and that that fan. 
man, that's such a good point. I think the Raiders identity is a case study and all brands should look into how the Raiders did it. I mean, the story, there's a lot of parallels, bro. Like, you know, this is, this is a club not started by, you know, this is just normal folks trying to build a club and identity. And you, this is the same kind of story and trajectory that, you know, the Raiders had in their upbringing and then the identity, right? Like the cleanliness of like the black and the silver and the sophistication with that, the representation in the logo itself of, of that blue collar work ethic. Um, and then the strive for excellence, right? Like all of this is so, it's so good. It is, it is one of the best brands, you know, it's up there for me with like, the the A's and the Yankees and the you know like the yeah, Lakers yeah. The, you, these brands are iconic and that's what we're trying to strive for is like iconicism in a way that actually has Oakland in its name and it, and it's not just roots it's Oakland roots right and that's one thing I want to harp on like we will never exist if we're not in Oakland and the identity doesn't exist if it's not mm-hmm. in the name a lot of other football teams baseball teams etc can dip because they are just the Raiders. They are just the A's. They are just the whatever. And they can tack on any city. Nah, like I think real culture changes when you have like artifacts in the community and the real work is done and the the brand starts to become culturally shifting. And the Raiders did a great job while while they're in Oakland. I think that's why a lot of people are are very upset. And we took over the facility, yeah. bro. I, I'm sorry for doing that. Oh, did you? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hey, Dries. Sorry, I jumped on a little late. Good, good to meet you, bro. Um, likewise, man. Likewise. You mentioned storytelling for, for the brand. I think storytelling is such a underutilized element of marketing and sports. Um, the NFL has kind of stumbled into being this giant that no matter what happens, like they just have a great TV product and they don't mm-hmm. really need to do any marketing we've seen basketball kind of struggle with telling stories. They're uh, kind of stuck in this like shockwave of Twitter headlines. Uh, but I think soccer, you might've mentioned this is, is just such a great way to start that. Um, it's, it's kind of built for it. And, and Oakland roots still kind of a growing organization. What was that, that process like in trying to build a story that represents Oakland? Yeah, I, I think you have to do it um, at the foundational level. So, you know, when you're when you're a large brand and you've existed for quite some time, I think it's tough to like relearn people's perception of that brand, you know, especially if they've been around for a very long time. I mean, an example could be, you know, uh, I don't know, a, 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 you know, a New York Mets or like Diamondbacks or something trying to all of a sudden be like the the brooklyn nets right and having this like cool urban sophistication i mean it just doesn't work to transition that way like you have to establish your identity in the early stages and i think a lot of these teams do and then they get so caught in the weeds of the money-making business which is what you talked about that they forget about what actually enables people to really be passionate about it um and that's storytelling and community, man, it's culture. And the issue here is like, people probably asking like, man, this cat's tripping because, you know, there's diehard sports fans everywhere. Well, yeah, there's diehard sports fans everywhere because we don't got options, right? Like it costs 300, $400 million to get into the NBA. It costs that to get into the MLS. 
So what the fuck you mean? Like, I got to root for this team. You know, do I want to? Maybe not. You know, but but I'm almost forced to because this is the only option I have, you know, and that that for me is like the flawed monopolization mentality that has happened in American sports that is is not existent in Europe. Right. So in Europe, you have like this amazing promotion relegation methodology where, you know, you you win and based off of your merits, you you escalate and you rise and your existence is really based on how well you connect to the people and the fan base. If you don't, they all show up at the stadium revolting. And then all of a sudden ownership changes, management changes, you know, there's accountability that don't happen in the NFL. In the NFL, you can blackball a Colin Kaepernick and that's it. And, and everyone turns a blind eye because the next season's around the corner and you know tom brady is killing it right so like this is the issue is that i think there's there's a lack of accountability when it comes to some of this and for us it's like we're trying to challenge that man we're trying to make it feel like this is a common person's club this is real shit you know it's it's everyone is human and um i think the greatest form of intelligence and the best form of marketing is empathy and you know, like storytelling is the literal tradition of human nature. Like this is how we pass stories on to each other. This is how we connect to one another. Um, and that is what we try to embody in, in, in our storytelling process, man. Hope that answers it. It's kind of like a intangible thing. It's a bit of magic, you know, I don't know if many people understand it, but yeah. No, you make an excellent, I'm in marketing too. So I'm very fascinated by your, your story. Um, you you mentioned uh, the 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 billionaire part of it, and the story for Oakland Roots is so different than a newer club, an expansion club, right? Like an NYCFC where Sheikh Mansour just puts them in New York as an expansion of Manchester City, right? It, this isn't the case. Or LAFC, which has an ownership group, I mean, they could just go get Gareth Bale and 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 Giorgio Chiellini right. just like that, right? It's it's a right. different story, um, but it, it it it's a fascinating one. You you lead with like a community centric message. And I think that connects to empathy. You are trying to empathize with the end consumer. What, what's the thinking behind leading with a community based approach? Mm -hmm. So this comes back to, I think who our co-founding group is, right? Um, my philosophy in life, and maybe this is, this is a really great question, bro. Like it's going to peel back several layers of, of who we are. My philosophy is like, if you exist, you only have one chance to exist in this life, not only as a human being, but certainly in business, right? 99.9% .9 of businesses fail within the first three to four years, you know? And so you have one opportunity to exist. You have to lean into whatever it is that it, that is your identity. Furthermore, you, you know, I believe that, and this is me personally, I don't ever want to partake in anything that does not impact humanity. Like it's a waste of time for me. Like, why would I even just try to do something if it's not even impacting 10 people, 20 people, hundred people. Right. And so my philosophy has always been like, if we're going to do this, we're going to impact as many people in this town as possible. And the way we're doing that is to be one of the first purpose led sports organizations in the nation. What does that mean? Well, we have a chief purpose officer first in America of its kind sitting at the executive level who is also on the board and is also a co-founder. So decision-making wow. on how, you know, 
I mean, man, first year I was buying furniture from Ikea. And though like Ikea does have some benefit locally, obviously employees, local folks, like I remember us debating in the office on why I should have purchased it from a small like mom and pop shop instead, you know? And it's, so that thinking of like the Oakland first always, that is our tagline, is in every decision that we make. And our chief purpose officer, Mike Geddes, who has a tremendous history of impact and in soccer specifically, is helping us make those decisions from a partnership perspective to our marketing decisions, to our storytelling. I mean, every partnership, we even flip that script, man. Like most sports teams will probably be like, here's your asset in the stadium. Here's your video scoreboard graphic. Here is, you know, the read in game or whatever. Here's a commercial. We try to ask the, the partners, what is meaningful to you, right? Like, can we do a street soccer tournament at Dia de los Muertos and activate a, a small-sided, you know, pitch thing where, you know, all of a sudden now you have thousands of youth interacting with the sport and we're spreading positive messages. Like the partnership thinking is also completely different and that we try to take it to another layer of impact in the community. We are the only organization in the United States that donates 1% of our ticket revenues and staff salaries to social impact causes locally. So everything kicks back to our purpose partners, which is like a special relationship we've built with um, nonprofit organizations in the soccer space, Soccer Without Borders, who works with refugees, Mayud Soccer provides free access camps, uh, Street Soccer USA, who you know activates local urban spaces for people to actually kick a ball. Lack of space in Oakland is a problem, so you know they're addressing that. List goes on and on, and so. You know, we're not just like a nonprofit that sits on the, the side and it's like a foundation of whatever uh, club. It's like literally who we are. And our investor group of 42 plus people are comprised of that DNA. This is exactly what we lead with. We don't lead with, hey, man, you're going to make a lot of money. No, like, sure. You know, the value of the club rises with our growth, but this is far greater in far more important than, you know, a return on your investment. Cause that doesn't happen in sports, you know, it's, it's a, you know, and we're also different in that we have multiple investors, um, you know, 42 plus um, predominantly Oakland Bay area based. Um, and, you know, yeah. So that's, that's kind of how we're, we're leaning into it and are trying to be different. I see where, what you mean by trying to be the Barcelona of, of the U S it's not just the, uh, on field success it's the you know their tagline is is more than a club mm -hmm. um and it's uh you know if you read back their history which obviously i'm sure you know uh but they have a you know a deep social uh impact on spain they've been part of you know resistance movements against fascism in the past so they're definitely more than a club and i can definitely see, see the vision here yeah, as well absolutely and a, we need a club like this and America does. So it's not just Oakland that needs it. It's not California. The United States needs a radical change in the way we think about sports identities. And if more people do it, we'll start to realize that sports teams are community assets and they have to Absolutely. be that way. And, and we have to, we have a bit of unlearning to do, <laughs> but you know, we're, we're trying to lead the way at the very least. So.
Yeah. And, and speaking of radical change, you touched on this a little bit. I know, you know, pro rel is a big discussion mm. here in the U S um, people are very passionate about it. Yeah. I, mean, I don't know if you can answer this, but how do you feel about, about pro rel? I, I mean, look, I think everyone, you know, at some point is enthused by the idea, you know, mm. uh, personally, I think competition is fantastic. I think merit, merit-based system is fantastic however i'm also like i realize the reality of the circumstance and i'm like well you gotta play the game in order to change the game right and this is for everything in life i think people tend to shut things off or close doors because it's just not aligned with whatever it is they're thinking is but sometimes it's it takes a, a little bit of ability to almost like look at it and say hey maybe collectively we can do this or we can change it or we can whatever and look my my philosophy bro and to answer it very bluntly is like i believe it should always be club over league period you know a lot of clubs in markets place the value of the league significantly higher than their their own value and whenever people try to ask us this conversation this exact question they're like, well, what's your plans? Like, do you ever want to go MLS? Do you ever want to do this? Do you know that? I'm like, no, like none of that. Like our goal is to create a club and an asset for Oakland. Right now, the pathway to playing professional for us that is sustainable and allows us to play it and do it well is USL Championship. It is one of the fastest growing leagues in the world. It has the biggest kind of base of uh, soccer teams in a league from division two to division three to division four. They've even publicly stated that they're interested in promotion relegation, given that they have one of the largest bases of teams. So we are at the cusp. I think in the next five years, you'll see this start to really become a reality for everyone in a conversation. And for us, it's not pinning our success on whether or not it's going to happen. It's, Hey, Let's put our entire focus and commitment into Oakland. Let's ensure that we're growing as much as Oakland wants us to grow. And, you know, I don't know if you guys saw, but like two days ago, we announced our interest to explore, um, you know, a stadium because we're, you know, with the addition of Oakland soul, the demand for the product has grown so much that, you know, we're forced to look into new opportunities that don't, you know, impede on current um, athletic program at Laney College, which we yeah. love and enjoy and has allowed us to be who we are. And so Oakland Soul, just, just to clarify for yeah. folks that don't know, is, is the women's club that's associated with, with Oakland Roots. Yeah, which we launched, you know, a couple months ago and um, has been amazing. Um, so, yeah, man, I, I hope that answers the question. It's like, we're excited about the future. We care more about um, our success here locally than what the hell happens on a national scale, but we're here for it. And I'm about merit-based stuff, you know, and uh, we'll see if that shakes out. Yeah, no, no, it totally does. And I get it. It's, um, you know, you want to be sustainable and, and um, it's not, again, it's not about what, what the MLS is doing or what USL championship is doing. It's about what, what Oakland roots is doing. And I think just, just to put my two cents in, I do think eventually pro rel is the way to go, but I think now as, teams are still building fan bases and identities. I think right now the status quo is where we should be, but who knows where soccer is going to be, you know, in, in five, 10 years in this country. Yeah. I mean, the other issue too, is like United States is so large and vast, right? Europe is, 
you know, is condensed and there's, there's populations that are like pushed into what the size of Texas, right? Like you have nine countries in the size of, uh, of Texas. And so, you know, the travel, right. The sustainability of that, the expenses related to that infrastructure stadiums, right? Like there's stadiums in Europe that are like hundreds of years old. It's built into the DNA. We don't have soccer specific stadiums. I don't even know if we have one here in the Bay Area. Like I can't think of one in the East Bay, probably Cal. Not in the East Bay, but yeah. the, the earthquakes do have. I mean, they opened too. Avaya was at 2013, 20, 14, which exactly. is beautiful. I don't know if you've been down there, but it's it's yeah. a gorgeous little uh, little stadium. Exactly, man. No, San Jose has that. The, the South Bay has opportunities. But, you know, we look at the East Bay area, Berkeley's, you know, Edwards Stadium is a college soccer facility. But, you know, there's there's not much else here that is for soccer specifically. So we have some work to do and we're not the only market. Every market in the United States, I think, has has to think about soccer more seriously. So. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing you were about the size of America. I was just in Europe and, uh, you know, all the, my family friends were like, how big is America exactly? They want to know in distance. And mm. I'm like, it's 4,500 kilometers and their head explodes. They're like, what? That's like 2,000 <laughs> miles. Yeah. Um, so, you know, the 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 growth of soccer, Khaled posed this, is it's still a huge market opportunity. I think in America, if you talk to like my dad, he'd say, you know, they've been saying soccer is growing since I got here in 1980. Mm. Um, which which goes to show that yes, like it's the biggest sport in the world. This is a huge country, and there's there's cities building right. Like you see the Seattle Sonic, uh, damn it, what's it called? The Sounders. They built their stadium specifically for 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 soccer, if I'm not mistaken. Um, right. Well, and, yeah, and a number of teams have. Yeah. Yep. So, like, what what I'm trying to get at is there's a knock on, I guess youth development in america it's just different like the path to it is different than other sports like what's your your take on that uh mm. is, is that changing the, the the system is not fleshed out yet but what's what's your take on youth development and that helps in combination with community and, and, and things like that yeah well i mean look i will caveat the whole like point about you know we've been saying soccer is growing in america for a long time but I honestly can tell you, man, the infrastructure of soccer in America is is actually like significantly shorter of a period of time than compared, you know, to Europe or Asia, where it's existed for hundreds of years. You know, it's kind of in our DNA. Um, you know, the 90, what was it? The 94 World Cup or 96? I forgot the exact year. 94, yeah. 94. You know, I was born in 89. That was in 94. Man, like that was in my opinion, the moment for at least people in America to go, oh, wow, maybe we should take it seriously. It existed, but it was like, all right, let's take it more seriously. And the the let's take it more seriously starts with the youth. And the issue with that is it's a pay to play model. So, you know, I, a great example, man, is Iceland. You know, I think their population is around the two to three million mark, if I'm not mistaken, might be wrong, but they played America in the World Cup and were able to beat the United States, a population of 300 million plus. 2 million, 300 million, right? The math is like, how is this possible? You can't find a pool of players that can beat you know, Iceland. But the trick here is that Iceland actually invested in accessible resources in every kind of 
a hot spot of soccer in their country. So, you know, imagine in Atlanta does this really well. Like they create accessible soccer fields that are like free for everyone to be able to play. Specifically black and brown kids, man. Like black and brown kids in under-resourced areas aren't able to pay $2,000 a year to play for a, a, a club. So what happens is there's a large demographic of young, really talented kids that just never have that platform that then take a different path in their life. And it's too late at 16, 17, 18. Playing in the local, you know, yeah, tournaments doesn't turn into a professional athlete. Like you have to have structure, you know, you have to be able to go to college and showcase and all these things. You don't have resources, man. I remember growing up, like, I thought if I just megged enough people, I would become professional. <laughs> like, like that was that was my barometer for professionalism. And my family didn't know different to like, he just keeps scoring goals and, you know, you keep megging people and you don't have to worry about your diet or sleep or, you know, working out and you can have a little belly and, and still be, you know, a professional team. No, man, like, you know, refugee communities, immigrant communities, you know, black and brown communities don't have the proper education and resources that say privileged folk do in suburban neighborhoods and soccer has become a suburban sport because of the commercialization of it and it's about access and equity for me man like we have to be able to lift the barriers and find better identification tools better uh resources for black and brown kids um, in America. And at that point in time, guess what happens? We skyrocket. We become the Brazils of soccer, you know? Um, but we just don't have that, that clear pathway yet. Right. So, yeah, I, I firmly believe I've said this many times that in my lifetime, I mean, if I live to be an old man, inshallah, that the U S will win a world cup in my lifetime with, with, because of things like this, because of, of clubs like, like open roots and, all these academies that come up to and the decrease in that pay to play model and being more grassroots and, and finding hidden talent. I mean, there's no reason that again, a country of 300 plus million people that love soccer, hopefully eventually, yep. uh, you know, wouldn't be that successful. And I, I think we're, we're on the right, we're on the right track. Brother on this point, just to like beat it to death. You know, the Bay area has the same, if you take the entirety of the Bay area, it's the same population of Iceland. So like you could technically, if you really wanted, you could have the national team just come out of the Bay Area, of which we have incredible products like everywhere, right? And I can name five or six cats that are in the MLS that are Oakland born Bay Area raised, right? So, I mean, come on, like something's missing here. And furthermore, you know, this is why we call ourselves a sports club and Barcelona is like, you know, the epitomization of what we're trying to do is like, why not have you know, the next F1 driver be a black and brown kid out of East Oakland, California, West Oakland, California, right? So it's like, it's challenging the way we think about quote unquote access to sports and then representation and storytelling. And, you know, I think like for me watching Serena do what she does is like motivated me more than ever the past two days to see her do, like this is a a, a Compton born and raised woman, black woman in America at the highest level, beating the number two at 40 years old. There's 
plenty of Serena's, plenty of Lewis Hamilton's, plenty of, Mm -hmm. you know, Kobe's and MJ's and LeBron's out there. We just have Messi's, right? We just have to find them and create pathways so that they're visible. And lift those barriers, like you said, and you know, work on on the access part of it, for Mm -hmm. sure. You have a um, th- this great philosophy embedded in community dynamics, and um, you, you glossed on this earlier about value. You know, as a as a co-founder, you have a big investment group. I'm sure there there is a balance between this staying true to your roots and and uh, and and sticking to that community dynamic, um, and you also have to increase the value of the club. For those unfamiliar with how that works, how can a club like Oakland roots increase value and how do you balance that with a, like a community centric philosophy? Brilliant question. Um, so here's how everyone else thinks. They think that revenue, if you were to ask any sports organization, how do you prioritize these things? Revenue or financial sustainability. It's a better way of putting it. Financial sustainability, brand exposure, um, community engagement, soccer, right? Those four components are predominantly like the business of soccer. They would say financial sustainability is up top. Soccer, brand exposure, then community, right? And then the community and purpose efforts turn into like the quote unquote, whatever foundation. And then it's like one person and it's a subset of the work. And it's a social post every quarter about how you donated $5,000 to whatever, right? Like that's the depth of thinking. We flip that shit on its on its back. So the, our prioritization is purpose. You know, it's community engagement. You know, it's financial sustainability or, you know, you know, branding financial sustainability soccer. Because at the end of the day, man, yes, we are a winning organization. Yes, we we love we want to win championships be very clear but from a business perspective you are going to win and lose over time that's just like a a fact but if you can win in brand engagement and reach and community impact and engagement you're gonna have a community that supports you even when you lose right and so when you put purpose first the big misconception is that revenue does not follow we've proved that revenue can follow. So as an example, we have to date packed stadiums every single game. Do you think that happens because we don't value community or we do? You know what I mean? Do you think that happens because we don't show up in the community or because we do, right? And so it's a flawed way of thinking if we think of it as separate things. We believe revenue comes from purpose, comes from community engagement, comes from being present. And, you know, we have the the second highest merch revenues in the league right now. It's our second year in the league. We're number two, right? Um, if you compare our numbers with some of, you know, the NBA, you know, we're like top top 12 in the NBA when it comes to merch numbers. And we're second That's incredible. in your team, yeah. right? But none of this happens because we just place value on the, the money. We put community and impact first, we put Oakland first, and then it follows, right? And this is proof in the pudding. Value comes from, you know, ticket sales. It comes from partnerships. It comes from, you know, the ability to uh, continue to grow our database and our fan base. 
um, partnerships is a, a big part of our revenue drivers. And if we were not purpose oriented and we did not differentiate by leaning into impact or have a cool, quote unquote, the coolest soccer brand in America dubbed by 442, not me, it's 442. Um, it's hard to argue. <laughs> brands wouldn't want to invest in you, right? So again, this is another example of how partnerships, um, our ticket sales revenue, um, the demand of the brand, the database grows because we care about humans, right? And mm. that's the model we're trying to to prove to people. And value in sports is an interesting thing. It's generally like three or four X the revenue you bring in, you know? And um, our goal is to try to be as sustainable as possible so that we exist for hundreds and hundreds of years. And that means to bridge the gap between revenues and expenses as much as possible in the next three years so that we can get to a place where, you know, it makes sense to function, you know? Um, it's very difficult to go from zero to a sports entity in the world with without large expenditure. It's just the reality of of every business in tech as well. You know, there's like this three to five year period until sustainability. And um, we're getting very, very close. But I like to say the value of the club has been rising despite, you know, our 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 margins or despite, you know, our our sustainability efforts. It's it's growing at an incredible pace and we hope that like, we can get sustainability to match that, you know, over time. Yeah. And I think, I mean, not, not to bag on, on this team, cause this is, you know, one of my favorite teams growing up, but we're seeing kind of the opposite thing happening just up the road with the Oakland A's, right? They have brand recognition, they have an incredible history, but they've left the community behind in a lot of ways. They haven't prioritized building relationships with fans and then on top of that, they're not very good right now. So, you know, that's why you're seeing empty ballparks. Even on a Friday night, you're seeing, I don't know, five, 8,000 people in a 40,000 seat ballpark. Um, so it's it's really interesting seeing that the case studies, you know, the differences between what you guys are prioritizing and the type of turnout that you're getting. And again, what a team in Oakland with a much longer history, a much deeper, you know, identity there because of how long they've been there and the experience and the negative things that are happening there. So, you know, and I, and I think about the things that you've said about building, you know, the identity and putting purpose first, like, I'll give you an example. I, when you guys first started your inaugural season, I was still living on the East coast. I got hit up to buy season tickets. I had no intention of coming to a game because, you know, I wasn't local, but right. I was, you know, there's a couple reasons like this is a dope ass brand with a dope vision. You know, Idris is my guy. So I was like, I'm going to buy season tickets. I, you know, I had no connection to it. I had no plans of being there, but again, because of the other stuff that you talked about, the vision, the community, the identity being like authentically Oakland, I was like, all right, I have to be a part of this in some way or another. So, bro, you know, isn't that fascinating? Isn't that fascinating? There's 6 million SMBs in America and this like SMB philosophy where word of mouth is the best form of marketing is amazing, isn't it? it I mean, brother, to that point, to date, as a professional sports team, we've probably spent less than $20,000 in paid advertising. So, so like, just really think about that, all right? Like, less than $20,000 in paid advertising. Does and that even get wow. you, like, an ad on, on KMBR or something? <laughs> I mean, it's... <laughs> like drive-time like, radio? Yeah, I mean, y'all know, but, like, man, it, you do a billboard outside the Coliseum, like, a, just a normal static billboard it's like 12 racks dude 
like we've spent less than $20,000 to date. And to your guys' point about word of mouth, man, it is the most vital and is the most powerful tool of marketing. Like our game days have to have a net promoter score of greater than 80 or we're not turning fans into promoters. And this comes from my experience at Apple when I helped co-manage three or four stores. There's no advertising. There's no Facebook ad on, hey, come visit this Apple store. It's all experience-based. I mean, Disney, man, like Disney is the greatest example of like how to make magic and how to care about an experience and how to make people happy. There's enough shit going on in our lives. Like we don't, we're not spending money to go to a thing and then just be like experiencing something horrible. That's not, that's not a good product. See, this goes back to the point of like, if I have no option, I have to support something shitty. It's because it's the only thing and it's not going away. (laughs) So I have to keep going to it and it's just going to keep adding bullshit to my life. That's not what we want to do. And these days people have more options than, you know, than ever before. So it's it's harder than ever to, to capture folks. So. Exactly. That's why experience is everything, man. Happiness is everything. We ride the happiness wave no matter what, man, because it's infectious. Um, Khaled, do you have any other questions for Idris? Uh, well, uh, this is kind of a two-parter, but you know, yep. what's the, the hardest thing about this journey and what's the coolest thing? I mean, have you had like a fanboy moment where you've met someone like super dope that you looked up to or a player or something? Um, I know like Drogba, for example, is a co-owner of Phoenix Rising. He's one of my favorite players of all time. I would have geeked out if I met him, but have you had any experiences like that? Yeah, man, I'd say just start with the first question. Um, uh, Man, I mean, everything's difficult. Um, You know, trying to be iconic and trying to create something that is long lasting and impactful in one of the most polarizing, like, you know, cities in the world you know in oakland california where everyone holds you accountable if you slip up even a smidge which is partially why i love it so much because of that accountability uh you have a responsibility when you're repping something that has oakland in it and though that's been difficult i would say that has been the biggest honor and blessing because i wake up every day like man i actually get to represent this amazing city you know i believe it's one of the greatest places on earth People don't know that yet, but we're going to take this shit to them. And that's that's my philosophy. Um, and I will say, man, like the fanboy moment, you know, real interesting is last night, my wifey and I, we went out to dinner and it hit me last night more than ever what we were doing. And it was in the most organic, probably, I don't even know if people listening will even get it, but we were at dinner, man, and the owner of the restaurant somehow recognized my involvement in the club or just knew that I was involved and like sent drinks our way and said, you know, thank you for bringing professional soccer to Oakland. And for me, like it, it didn't hit, it didn't hit, like nothing has hit like that before because it made me realize that like, wow, like it shit is actually here. People are actually fucking with it. And they care that much to like recognize someone that's part of it. And man, I will carry that small moment with me forever. I mean, I don't take it for granted. Like that makes me want to work 10x harder to make sure this shit lives up to its expectations. So, I mean, Oakland is is a special place. And I, I think 
especially with with the teams leaving and and a lot of the changes that are happening there with with the gentrification and some of the uh, identity and history that that might be lost, um, you know, with the new residents, just everything, just so much transition happening there. I think people probably like that restaurant owner and a lot of, you know, Oakland lifers and natives are probably holding on so tightly to their identity and anything that's like authentically Oakland. And I think with everything that you've told us, everything that you guys have done so far, we can say, you know, with, with, yeah, you know, without a shadow of a doubt that you guys are authentically Oakland. And that's, that's something really special these days. Appreciate that. You know, there are amazing moments like, you know, getting to rock with Marshawn and, you know, others that, that like, again, it's just, it's one of those moments where like, you know, these cats are also so humble, bro. That they're like, they're just normal cats. You know, when he calls, it's just a normal conversation. Like, um, but it's the common folk, you know, the folk that like live here every day, grind their ass off, put the effort like that's the special thing for me you know and so i appreciate you guys recognizing it and and giving us the platform and uh we definitely won't stop man for sure so but before we uh, go uh sam always has his food questions loaded up so yeah you talked you? about happiness and food makes me really <laughs> happy um i know you're, you're afghan and uh i grew up in union city you know so i went to eat in fremont a lot which is the I believe the pinnacle of Afghani cuisine. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I went to Europe a couple of times and found Afghan food in, in Amsterdam. I had some great Afghan food in Munich a couple of weeks ago. So um, I'm a huge fan. Uh, when Idris uh, is, is hungry, wh- where do you go eat? That's question one. Oh, man. Well, Afghan food is comfort food for sure. But if if I'm looking for a spot in Oakland, you're going to catch me at the local guadalajara taco truck man (laughs) nothing gonna be you know going down uh to guadalajara um in in the fruit bale grab standing in line paying cash for a burrito and then you know that shit just hits different man that's that's the one for me for sure and are you the afghanan guy fremont afghan oh i love the afghanan man i (laughs) I love the afghanan that's like obviously OG Fremont, you know, Fremont's like the little Kabul, you know, so um, we definitely, that's the go-to spot, 100%. Yeah, we're the same age, so we absolutely know. Uh, I'm sure we have some people in common, for sure. Sure. Um, Favorite Afghani dish is my last important question. Oh, man, I'd say, I'd say I rock with um, Mantu and Ashak a lot. A lot of people are divided between the two, but I love them both, man. It's, it's like the uh, Afghani version of a dumpling for people that are listening and need to visualize. Um, and the meat is the Mantu, um, which is is grounded meat with onions. And uh, the Ashak is is leek, which is kind of like the... Uh, the the poor poor Afghan man's uh dumpling <laughs> which which I love a lot man so yeah it's funny uh we were at this place in Munich a couple of weeks ago and my wife orders the mantu and they're like we don't have mantu which first of all shame on them for running out of that <laughs> uh but se- second I was like well baby you haven't heard of Ashug you're you're there up you for, for a treat because there you go it's, it's yeah. very similar exactly leek is probably easier to find than than ground meat so yeah, but I love both of those, man. And the beauty of of our uh, cuisine is that we're in the heart of Asia. And so historically, you know, you have every empire and every 
you know, country's influence kind of in our in our dish and in our identity. So um highly recommend people listening to go check out the one on or even Kamdesh in Oakland. I live right across the street from Kamdesh and it's it's hit a lot on a, on several occasions. So highly recommend. Speaking of, of Oakland and 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 that regional thing, Yemeni people have also taken over the city of Oakland. Big time. And um, similar to, to Afghani food, very unique spices that you won't find even in other, you know, Arab-based food. This Tremendous. Is this is very true, but we have a strong uh, Yemenis population, uh, Palestinian population. Um, Reem, uh, shout out to Reem, man. She is like uh, Oakland legend. She had an amazing bakery out of um, the Fruitvale um, that um, recently ported over to Frisco. Um, but she, she's like, man, amazing woman, Palestinian cook, probably arguably one of the best in the Bay. And then, uh, we also have amazing Ethiopian cuisine here, bro. You guys, next time you're in the Bay area, head over to Oakland, try a Ethiopian or Eritrean spot. There's plenty of folks here that, that do well. So hell yeah. Dinner time. <laughs> Well, cool, man. Really appreciate your time today. Thank you so much for for you know sharing your journey and uh, you know t- talking to us about uh, you know Oakland Roots, Oakland Soul, Project Five One Zero, and everything that that you guys have been doing. So you know, where can folks find you guys on, on social and and all that? Yeah, I mean, search up Oakland Roots, um, our our men's side professional soccer team, Oakland Soul, most recently launched, also searchable. Our women's side, and then Project Five One Zero. Uh, when you're searching on social, it's with the letter O, not zero. So Project 510, uh, purposefully done for branding purposes. Uh, but um, yeah, man, super blessed. And again, thank you guys for giving us the platform. Um, I think love to look back on this 10 years from now when we're the biggest sports club and remember these conversations. So And, and we're the biggest sports pod, so I, I like exactly. it. Uh, <laughs> and you can catch uh, Oakland Roots on ESPN Plus, uh, you know, in the USL Championship. I know you guys have a a home game coming up this weekend uh, at Laney College. So uh, good luck with that. Good luck with the rest of the season. Thank you, guys. Yeah, congrats, man. All your success and and wish you more more success in the future. Thank you very much, you guys. Assalamu alaikum. And hopefully, you know, you guys can come to a game anytime. Let me know when you're in town. For sure. Sounds good, brother. Thank you. We appreciate it. Yeah. That's you. it for our show. Thank you, everybody, for, for tuning in. You can follow us uh, on Instagram and Twitter at 4040VisionPod, and you can uh, find this podcast and many more uh, on all social or all uh, podcast platforms, Spotify, Apple Pod, uh, Stitcher, Overcast, wherever you find podcasts. Uh, make sure to follow, like, and subscribe. And uh, we'll catch you next time. I do it for the Bay Area, that's home base. They be trying to run next to us, but it ain't no space. I feel like life just switched to hyperspeed, though as of recent. The difference between yourself and me is you're just decent. A garden full of flowers grew its way out through the cement. If I ever said I'm never scared, just know I really mean it. I dreamed about the top, I had a vision, and I seen it. If you know the work comes first, then you and I are in agreement. And it's a long haul, but I work harder than a mom. So come-